Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact information out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read your comments out on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. That's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, which is firearmscafe.com, so please go there and click on these buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. They are all free. If you would like to support the show financially, at the website there is an Amazon search box. If you use it, Amazon will give me a finder's fee on any products that you buy at no additional cost to you. I also have a donate button through PayPal. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. Hey guys, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff before we jump in with the conversation between Chaz and I. On the audio quality, you may notice that the levels kind of go up and down. The way that I had the mixer set up and I need to figure out how to do it a little bit better through Skype, when he and I are actually having the conversation, the levels sound normal. But during the recording, when the track is recorded, my levels are higher and his levels are a lot lower. So I have to go in afterwards and try and boost his levels. So you may notice a little up and down stuff. Hopefully I'll be able to figure out how to do that a little bit better. uh, And hopefully it's not too distracting. Uh, So anyway, enough of the behind the scenes jibber jabber. Let's get on with the show. Right up now. The funk soul brother. Check it out now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. The funk soul brother. Check it out now. The funk soul brother. Right about now. Funk soul brother, check it out now. The funk soul brother, right about now. The funk soul brother, right about now. Hey everybody, we're with uh, Chaz Murray. Chaz has, has a podcast, which is the Road Gunner Podcast. He's also an instructor. Where are you an instructor at? Nighthawk Custom Training Academy. And you are also a instructor with um, the Masada U Group. Is that, that correct? Is correct. Yeah. And then how long have you been doing that for? Okay, uh, I believe I got certified in 2013. Okay, cool. Masada Group. And and when's your next um, MAG-40 class or MAG-80 or whatever whatever thing you guys got going? Yeah, the next MAG-40 class, thanks for asking, by the way, is going to be April 30th, May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And the first two days will be MAG-20 range, so it'll be shooting all day. And then the second two days will be the Armed Citizens Rules of Engagement, and the lead instructor will be Masad Ayub for all four days. I went to the, in fact, I think that's when you and I met briefly, was back in 2012, and I had driven up to Utah from Arizona. I think you stopped in. Were you there for the last day of I class? I was there for the last day or two, and um, I remember getting a chance to meet you and rub your glorious head <laughs> while we sat at the dinner table. <laughs> Is a highlight of my existence so far. 
Well, it's the feeling is mutual. You know, it's one of those things, speaking of that class, and I know you've been on a lot of other shows and kind of talked about it, but it is really kind of one of those things where if you can do that class where he's going to be there for all four days, uh, it's a real, it's a real opportunity to take, um, you know, he's, and I've talked about this before, you know, he may decide tomorrow he wants to hang it up or, you know, he may go for another 10 years or he may get hit by a bus or whatever, but right. You know, if you've got the, you know, less, uh, depend largely upon his physical ability to do the class. I know that I've spoken to him and he wants to do it as long as possible, but, uh, 40 years out on the range as you know having been to a mag 40 yourself that it's pretty exhausting for the students and the instructors probably a little bit more so for the instructors and having done it he's uh he started lethal force institute in 1981 i believe it was 81 it was in the 80s regardless and so he's been out on the range for as with his own instruction as with his own school for what 35 34 years now yeah and he's been doing it a lot longer than that with uh, the police force and being a, a firearms instructor with his uh, police force and around the country so yeah it can it can be quite tiresome and he does it you can pretty much find a class two a month at least throughout the year uh, depending on the weather when it gets warmer, he'll be, go up north, and when it's colder, he'll st- stay around his home in Florida. Yeah, and I, I remember when he did ours. I mean, he he does. Geez, I would say, on, well, I think in our class, he did basically probably ninety nine percent of the right. of, of the stuff. I mean, it was just him basically talking to us, and then he had he had some other stuff where he was showing videos and things like that, but. I can't remember if he had anybody else. Uh, I'll tell you what, if he's got instructors, like when he comes to Nighthawk Custom Training, there's uh, several certified instructors. He is perfectly willing to tell the stories and let the quote-unquote junior instructors to handle the heavy lifting as far as the basic instruction so that he can uh, participate in his other profession, which is smoking cigarettes. <laughs> so he is more than willing to uh, let his his trusted cadre of instructors take over. And and when I say trusted, that means he is, I know that he's confident in, in our ability to cover the material and convey it to students just as well as he can. Because I've personally paid for MAG-40 twice before I ever became an instructor and then went back several to several venues and helped to instruct for free as kind of an, an apprenticeship with Nighthawk Custom Training and went through the Masada Yub Group instructor course. And even after that, I continued to help teach with a couple of classes before I actually got paid for one. So yeah. I, 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 can, I can teach the material. Yeah. And so can any of us um, instructors that have gone through the instructor course. Yeah, and that's another thing that, you know, I like I said, I took it, well, it's going to be coming up uh, this September on basically three years since I've taken it. Right. And I've been thinking about, man, I need to get in. And even if I just did the the MAG-20 uh, right. for the, the classroom stuff, because I, I was thinking, man, I should probably get in and do a refresher uh, just every maybe two or three years. It's definitely a good idea. I know that uh, Mass does come to Arizona where you're at, but... 
you know, we'd love to have you out in Arkansas sometime. It's a nice area. Man, I'd love to be able to travel around and go in different parts of the country and, you know, take a week here and a week there. And like, I'd love to go out to, uh, uh, the Nighthawk with you guys out there. I'd love to go up to, um, Kansas with Daniel. Um, I'd like to go out to, oh, what's it in Oregon? Thunder Ranch, um, with Clint Smith. No, that, uh, mass teaches in Seattle once or twice a year. Yeah. Yeah. With a mag 40 or a mag 80. Mag 80, by the way, is the continuation of the, the mag 40 for those two, for those people who may not know. I'm, I'm sure they've heard of through your show what mag 40 is. Yeah. But uh, it's a con- continuation on the skills that you built and it's a lot more shooting and that's a five day class. It's five, eight hour days and it focuses on moving and shooting uh, manipulation of your handgun with using just one hand, one handed reloads, left handed operation of your pistol, left handed reloads or weak handed, what de- you know, depending on what your dominant hand is, shooting from unusual positions, and it covers a little bit of long gun, but uh, you do a lot of some very important stuff that I I feel is important anyways, uh, gun retention and takeaways using dummy guns and you spend a lot of time doing that and you can really get beat up in that class that's why it's five eight hour days instead of four ten hour days it's just really too much material i mean it's physically exhausting but it's well worth it yeah years ago when i was in uh, when i was working in juvenile probation toward the end we were going to go to being armed and so what they were having us do was a lot of um Oh, different training and stuff like this. So, you know, how to use the batons, how to use the pepper spray, how to, uh, you know, if you're going to carry a, uh, if you're going to have a firearm, how to, we did a lot of that stuff on the retention. And how to hug a teenager? No, we didn't do any of that. (laughs) But, you know, what you're saying is you do kind of need to be at least in moderate shape. Um, because you're, you're, especially with the retention stuff, you're, it's, it's, it can get real, real physical. Well, I can do it and I'm not in spectacular shape, but, uh, um, yeah, it, it does get tiring for everybody. Yeah. But I mean, we had some people, uh, that were going through their training with us and they basically were, were physically unable. They just had to kind of sit in a chair and do stuff, you know, kind of that way. But because they, you know, it's, it's kind of that government bureaucracy thing. Everybody kind of gets a, you know, a, a chance at the brass ring, that type of deal, you know, so everybody's got to do it, but right. You know, that's one thing that as I'm getting older, I'm finding that, uh, what are you like 60? Almost 60. I'm 48. Really? Oh, wow. Okay. I so, turned 44 in, in on the 22nd. So yeah. wish me happy birthday. Well, happy birthday, bastard. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> did you call me a bastard? Yes, I did. My parents are married. They weren't at the time. <laughs> You know, I've, I'm finding that I'm still in pretty good shape and probably for my age group, I'm probably in better shape than, than most of the people out there. But I can tell like if, if I were to be ever attacked by uh, heck, even just one guy who's younger, who's in his twenties or even in his thirties. And if he's in good shape, boy, it's going to be a struggle for right. me. And I think a lot of people out there kind of in our community haven't really come to terms with a lot of that stuff. You know, and again, as you get older, you know, you get an injury, it takes longer to heal. Uh, and if you haven't been, you know, maybe an athlete or, or just working out kind of, you know, the last 10, 15 years or most of your life, 
people kind of think, man, if I get in a fight, I'll be able to kind of go the distance. But I'm telling you, after about 15 or 20 seconds, if you're not used to it, oh yeah, you're done. Okay. You're over with. You're just out yeah. of gas. And uh, that's you know kind of tying it back to that retention stuff. And that's why you you know uh, being kind of physically fit, and not you know to where you've got like three percent body fat or you can run 12 miles, but just to where you can kind of you know, run a hundred yards if you have to, or, right. or, or be able to maybe roll around on the ground for a few, you know, for more than 20, 30 seconds. Well, what some of the principles, and I won't go into it too much, but with the handgun retention and takeaways is, uh, there's a lot of leverage involved. So you don't need a, a whole lot of physical strength. And it's, there's an emphasis on using your entire body weight and body strength to overcome, uh, the one limb of your assailant. Yeah. Because your whole body is going to weigh more than the your assailant's arm, or or that's generally the way people try to take things away is with their hands, us yeah. being primates. Yeah, and it's you know because I was thinking the other day I I was out with my daughter and stuff and we were like playing around on the jungle gym and the monkey bars and stuff like that and I was thinking man if I had to pull myself up and over this stuff could I actually do it like if I had to go right. over a wall. Or if I had to, you know, uh, kind of boost her up over a wall and then have me get over it, you know, if we, if, if we were in some situation where we just had to get out right. and, and take off. And, I, and uh, you know, so I, I try and stay in pretty good shape so uh, for that. But anyway. That is a good thing to have as well. Oh, yeah. Escape yeah. So you don't get yourself into that kind of a situation where you don't have an out. And, and, and especially as we get older and our eyeballs get less able to have acute vision and our hearing goes bad and uh, we start having constant post-nasal drip you just <laughs> you have to be more aware because that's all you've got really yeah if, if an mma guy comes up and decides that he wants to take you down i have zero mma training if somebody has any kind of grappling experience at all they're taking you down and they're taking what they want from you whether that's your wallet or your your watch or your jewelry or your life you're pretty much screwed at that point yeah and it kind of you know it goes back to that thing of you know not only be aware of your surroundings but kind of be aware of where you're placing yourself in the first place you know so right. are you going out in places maybe you shouldn't be or that maybe they're kind of sketchy here and there you know and nine times out of ten it's okay but there's always that you know that one time out of ten where something you know kind of wonky goes down and, you know do you really want to place yourself there you know, that type of stuff. Hey, I talked to, when I had Daniel on the show, I talked to him a little bit about kind of having a plan as far as if something does go down, if you're with your wife, like, do you have anything like my wife and I, we kind of have some stuff, you know, mapped out, but I kind of realized after talking with him that we don't have it probably down as good as we should. You know, she's aware of, uh, you know, where I carry and, and, you know, where on my body I carry and things like that. And if something were to happen to me, you know, we've talked about, well, how would you access the, the firearm if you needed to? Or, and, and after I did the show, we've talked more about, well, it may be a thing where you just have to leave me and you just have to run, especially if she's with, if she's got our daughter with us, you know, she's just going right. to have to exit the premises. So do you guys have any, um, kind of like set plans or I don't even know if set plans is the right the right word but you know what i mean we generally don't because my wife don't want to have nothing to do with guns then support me in uh what i would like to do as an instructor and in some ancillary support 
functions like driving me to and from ranges and things like that. She understands that I've got guns on me all the time pretty much except for where it's not legal. And But she doesn't want to have anything to do with it. She has fired guns before, uh, but it is not, I don't think, a good idea for a husband to instruct a wife in firearms. Yeah. And nor is it a good idea to pressure her into doing something she doesn't want to because the, the more I would try to bring it up or get her interested in it, the the, le- the less likely that is that she wants to have anything to do with it. So our, our basic plans usually have to do with if we're outside of the truck, uh, we're going to have a, if we get separated, there'll be rendezvous at the truck wherever we left it. If in some god-awful um, poop hits the fan scenario happened and where we got separated outside the truck it would be kind of uh, trying to make it back home but you know uh, we don't have the kind of preparations that we would need to walk a thousand miles back home to yeah. ride or things like that so most of our preparations revolve around the truck having uh, not just firearms for protection but also uh, we have the choice of where we we can go or we, where we will go because we are owner operators so we don't go to those places where firearms are heavily restricted like New Jersey uh, we carry a lot of backup equipment in the truck we have a lot of spare food and water blankets clothing and things like that lots of I've got like 40 flashlights and batteries and all kinds of stuff food under the bunk tire chains Spare coolant and engine oil, tire. You know, I already mentioned tire change, yeah. things like that. So, on your truck, is it a, a what do they call it? Like a sleeper cab, or is that the right? Yeah, it's a it's a sleeper. And is that is there room enough for like, let's say, like for whatever reason, you're kind of out in the middle of nowhere and it breaks down, and you're going to be there overnight or something like that? Is there room enough for both of you to kind of sleep comfortably there? Or yeah, we spend every night on the road in the truck, virtually, three hundred nights a year in the truck. There's a, a bunk. It's a, like bunk beds. There's, except for when the truck is a rocking, don't come a knocking. <laughs> and we've got our two do- two dogs and a baby sea cow in the truck. Yeah, I know you you've talked about in the past. I think when you were on uh, on uh, the squirrels the arm squirrels project, you talked about like some of the prep stuff that you guys have done, and you've talked about cooking in the truck and right. trying to eat healthier and all that kind of stuff. But one you know one thing. You're kind of in the un- unnamed state, but if the majority of your time is on the road, what do you? What kind of preparations have you made at home as far as like keeping the place secure since you guys are gone so much? Oh snap! You got dropped. Oh well. So what was the last thing you heard? <laughs> um, basically, that you you had had your your in laws come. And yeah, they, they pick, pick up, up the mail, the mail and, and they, stuff. Uh, makes, if, the, if it's below, well below freezing, they turn the heat on and uh, they kind of are caretakers for the place. We have the, our lawn is mowed during the mowing season, as it were. Yeah. About nine months out of the year. So uh, it doesn't look like necessarily that's unlived in. Yeah. And then there's, if people, not that anybody's watching it, but if they were, they would see, oh, the lawn's getting mowed. The There's not a bunch of flyers and. Right. And, uh, yeah, and if anybody breaks down the house, there's nothing in there. There's a 20 year old TV. Yeah. That my wife insists on keeping that she got in college, for sentimental reasons. I'm like, it's a TV. <laughs> <laughs> 
and some baseball cards, and maybe they'd get my ammo. That's yeah. about it. Yeah. Hey, I saw an interesting thing that you had that you had done on Facebook the other day. It, it really kind of got me thinking about some stuff. And that was when you had, had made a comment on there was a uh, a police dog or something that had gotten killed oh, okay. in the line of duty. And right. some people were calling for there to be legislation to make it like a capital crime, to basically to make it right. murder. So it would be the same as... Uh, as murdering an officer, capital Well, yeah, capital just a, Yeah, so... And you had, you know, commented that you didn't think that that was a good idea. I had commented the sort of the same thing. Right. Uh, and my kind of reasons were, is that it's 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 not a human, you know, it's a dog, and you know, <laughs> there's there's got to be a difference. It doesn't matter what the dog's quote unquote job is. Right. That dog didn't choose it. That dog couldn't give its consent. Uh, right. And it's, you know, and look, I'm a. I'm a I'm a dog lover. I've had dogs, you know, for years. In fact, we're getting ready to get a, a a little poodle here. My daughter had allergies for years, and she's finally getting over them. Oh, well, that's not gay. Of course it is. First of all, I don't uh, I don't want more legislation for anything. Yeah, period. yeah. And I do draw a distinction between human life and animal life. I do value animal life. I've had dogs for years as well, but we do have to have a distinction between. A species and as far as that goes i'm on team human yeah uh, i uh, i don't think that people who are engaged in criminal activity probably and and murder itself is based purely on intent that's why we have first second and um first and second degree murder and manslaughter yeah. depending on your jurisdiction those are based purely on the intent of the assailant and it is probably not it may be the intent of a person who's resisting arrest or having a SWAT raid into their home, they, they they may or may not intend to kill the dog, or they may be killing the dog in lieu of killing uh, the human being, because normally normal human beings who are not soci sociopaths or psychopaths do not have the will normally to kill another human being, unless, of course, they predetermined to do that. So there's a lot of it. There's intent there. There's the, the species line, and there's also the legislative line, which I'm not in favor of any new legislation of any kind at all. Yeah, and then, you know, the the other kind of one of my points in it, too, was, you know, that we're, uh, you know, with the thing like a capital murder, it's it, at that point you're then putting like a, um, a dog life. You're basically given, um, you're, you're creating more, uh, second class citizens of which I'm going to be, you know, kind of a part of that in that second class. Uh, and you know, the, the people that were for it were mainly for it just because it was sort of, they viewed the animal kind of as a, um, an extension of the police force or an arm of the state. And then there were other people on there that had made comments. Well, then shouldn't my dog, if somebody kills it or if, a uh, a police officer accidentally shoots and kills my dog. Shouldn't that person be held accountable to the same standard? And of course, you know, it went back and forth and this and that. And yeah, that I find thing, that but... to be logical reasoning. Why? Why is um, a particular animal's life worth more than another's, based purely on the uh, 
sanctioning from a, the uh, from the government. Yeah, doesn't yeah. make a lot of sense to me. I think the the main, the primary purpose of the legislation is is an, another add-on crime to add years to sentencing. It gives another if they can't get a, a win on assaulting an officer or uh, if they don't make it a serious crime, then maybe that person won't get as serious a penalty. You know, prosecutors tend to want to put folks in jail based on felony convictions rather than just misdemeanor or whatever the current level of malfeasance is uh, in assaulting a, a canine officer. So there's a lot of crimes that get charged that don't necessarily that they get that wouldn't normally be enforced. For instance, I am constantly going past schools up and down the interstate within a thousand feet, and the the Gun Free School Zone Act pr- prohibits a person that does not have a concealed carry permit from issued by that state from being within a thousand yards of a school. Now that is never enforced. It's, it was the first time it was passed was found unconstitutional. It was passed again, and it was never given the test of going to the Supreme Court because it's never really been tried. Yeah. What yeah. what it, what happens is that if a criminal is caught with a firearm within a thousand feet of a school, they add they add that to the charges, so that eventually they get into court. They can make a plea bargain deal and get as much sentencing time and another win for the prosecution. Yeah, when I worked, you know, in in uh, probation, that happens. That happens all the time. Um, and even like when we would, when when a kid was, and generally I didn't, I didn't do this, but there were other people who did. They would just tack on as much stuff when they were doing the the violation of probation. Right. I always just did it on. Did they, you know, if, if they were, if they didn't, if they hadn't done, you know, A, B, and C that they were supposed to, that's what I would violate them on. Right. Um, but generally what would happen is like you were saying, you end up going into court and usually it's hardly ever for just one thing. Um, right. there's usually several things. And then a lot of times to get a plea, they'll go ahead and they'll dismiss three or four things. Or a lot of times too, if, if it does turn out to where it is only kind of like a one charge thing in order to kind of grease the wheels of prosecution or to speed up the court process, a lot of times they'll say, well, uh, you, you had, uh, you were in possession of marijuana and what will make it, we'll drop it down to, you know, an attempted possession type right. thing or, or will, uh, they were doing a thing where they called them open felonies where if let's say again for that marijuana possession, which would be a felony, if they completed probation successfully at the end, when we would come back for kind of like one final court hearing, they would say, okay, you met all your terms. And so it's now going to be on your record as a misdemeanor type right. thing. So, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of kind of, of wonky stuff. But what I learned, you know, from all my years of doing that is, uh, you know, just like, just like in every other profession, you have all sorts of different types of people. So you have prosecutors that are, or county attorneys or whatever you want to call them that are really pro gun and that are, are, would, would, uh, maybe kind of hesitate to go at you as hard, but then you also have people that are prosecutors that are anti-gun. You also have people that they don't care one way or the other, but they know that if they, the more wins that they get, uh, especially if they have aspirations later of maybe being a judge or a commissioner, right? you know, they want it. 
they want to be seen as real, you know, hard on crime or this or that and the other thing. So you said it hard on. Ha 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 ha. So <laughs> how long were you uh, in that probation, juvenile probation system? Oh, I was in there. What was it? 15, 16 years, something like that. So did you come out of it with a government pension or anything like that? Or I basically took kind of like an early, early retirement and then I've, not, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm not collecting it yet, but I will eventually. Did you leave because you didn't like it or you, you got the early deal or what was it that brought you out of that? For me, it was the birth of, of my, of my daughter. Okay. Um, and part of it was, you know, we, I, it was either going to be me or my wife that was going to leave work. And we originally thought, Oh, it'll, uh, we'll, well, one of us will be maybe out for a couple of years and then we'll, we'll end up going back to work. And then it, it turned out that the way that other stuff, this, that, and the other thing, but basically I was able to kind of leave early and it just made more sense financially, um, right. for me to kind of stay, to be the, the, the stay at home, uh, parent type thing. So, and you're lazy, so. Oh, I'm lazy as I'm lazy as hell. Right. But you know what's nice about it is, you know, my if 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 uh, she's sick or this or that, you know, we're not having to scramble around with work because I'm available for that. Plus, whenever I go anywhere with with her with my daughter, she's got basically an armed you know guard all the time. And of course, you know, if you're going, if I'm going to pick her up in school, you can't obviously carry a firearm in there, even though I have a concealed carry permit. And I think in Utah it's different. I think. Or do they do it like by a, a school basis? Like if it's it's legal, but if the school doesn't want you to, then you can't. Or do you know? I'd have to check the law. Yeah, because I can't remember. They've pushed for stuff similar to that here in Arizona to try and say, well, if you've got a concealed carry permit, that you can you can uh, go on. The way it's set up now is really kind of wonky in that. So let's say that I'm I'm driving to pick her up. Right. What I'm supposed to do before I get on the school grounds is I'm supposed to pull over, completely unload the firearm, uh, put the firearm then in the glove box or in the trunk, and then you would then you can drive onto the school property. You can after you pick up an exit from the school property, then again you can pull over and you can load or unload you know you can load oh, and, and we all know how all convenient that and safe that is to fiddle with your firearm in your car yeah and especially around people that you love mm-hmm. and we've tried to get it you know to arizona is generally thought of as a pretty pro-gun state and for the most part it is but there are still some kind of oddball things here and there so you can't um, even drive onto the school property with with the gun loaded on you it's supposed I mean, they're to, not going into the building to pick her up, are you? No. If if you go on to their property, it's it's by the way that the statute is worded and how I read it is you have to unload the firearm. Hmm. And if you exit your vehicle, no, that's what it is. It has to be unloaded. And I think if you exit the vehicle on the property, then it has to be secured. And then, of course, even in the law, it reads something like, you know, make sure to do it discreetly so people don't see you, like if you're putting the gun in the right. trunk or whatever, if they don't yeah, see you, silly. you know, unloading a gun, which is why, in, in theory, you would do all this stuff before you you come onto the property. What um, is Arizona's definition of unloaded? Is it an empty chamber, or can you have the magazine and, and the gun? 
think remove you the can... magazine, jack the round out of the chamber, reinsert the magazine, but don't rack it. And then when you later on, yeah, are ready to go again, you just rack the slide, and then you're just down one. I think you can have the magazine in the firearm, but you cannot have a, a round in the chamber. But I'm not a hundred a hundred percent sure yeah, on that. We're not lawyers, by the so, way. So um, for the listeners, I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. So a lot of this stuff is kind of you know, my interpretation and, and from, from what I've tried to glean. I do have an opinion though. It's silly as hell. Yes. <laughs> and you know, when out here, we've also got the, um, Oh, Arizona citizens defense league, which is really actually one of the, um, I try and give them props whenever I can, but they're working on right now. Uh, there's some legislation that is trying to counter, some of the the uh, the Bloomberg stuff that they're right. doing with with basically the end of private sales with the background checks. That's the Arizona Citizens Defense League. You said, yeah, ACDL. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was Arizona Crossdressers League. Well, there's a lot of that goes on too, so you sort of get two birds with one stone, especially in Tucson. Mm-hmm. But you live in Phoenix, right? Yeah, I'm up in the Phoenix area. Okay. But they're, uh, you know, I like them a lot. They give a lot of information, what they do. They're actually really very well organized. And when something comes up, you can, you can either uh, type up your own letter or they have, they've got it now set up to where based on your uh, membership number and stuff, you just go in and you can basically hit submit and it will send emails to all your uh, representatives here, so members in the House, members in the state, Senate, all that stuff. So it gets it covered. I'm pretty lucky in that all my representatives are pretty much pro-gun. Um, some of them aren't as uh, super strong on it, but when push comes to shove, they kind of know out here where the where the bread is buttered on, what side is buttered on, and they will almost always vote pretty much pro-gun. Right. Um, the problem is we still have... Uh, well, yeah, and then if you look at kind of, there's still lots of uh, liberal pockets. Arizona is generally thought of as a more conservative state, but if you're if you're down like in Tucson, is generally considered more liberal. Uh, so you have representatives from there, but then you also have you know quite a uh, Phoenix is 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 such a large city that you're going to get and you get lots of people from California and other parts of the country that are coming here. So you kind of have a pretty good mix politically. Um, and so, you know, there, there, it's not just all just going to be easy peasy. You're going to have battles and stuff to fight. And, uh, and, and they've got people that have, that are senior members of the, the political organizations out here that have a lot of clout and, you know, like all that stuff, you know, they're always wheeling and dealing and all this kind of nonsense, but generally we're doing pretty good. I think we're going to maybe hopefully get some stuff into our state constitution that will prevent things like the background check and, and the the things where you can't even hand somebody a gun, like what happened in, I think it was Washington. It was. It was Washington. And I think the next one on the list is Nevada. And I think they had got, last I had heard, they had gotten all the ballots I think they needed. Or not the ballots, the, um, the signatures. And they're planning on maybe trying to come out here uh, maybe later this, well, maybe next year. I don't know. Um, the deadline for getting stuff in is, I think, in February 20th or something like that. So pretty much by the end of this month, uh, they're not going to be, you know, submitting any new bills or anything like that. 
So unless they unless they push something through, but it wasn't too long ago that they were pushing a lot of stuff for um, for background checks. I think last year because I saw a lot of ads for them, uh, but luckily there was a lot of ads that countered it as well. So how's it out in um, in the unnamed state? It's a uh, it's pretty decent. All our legislatures are pretty much required to be pro gun to get elected. The unnamed state being Arkansas. Yeah. And the only real issue nowadays is the the issue of open carry, whether that is going to be legal or not. The last act that they passed was Act 746, which made it decriminalized the carrying of a, a firearm without the intent to actually use it to actually harm someone. And the, the way the language was stated, some people were interpreting it as an open carry bill. Uh, but that's the people that enforce the laws, the state attorney general and the state police have interpreted that it's not an open carry bill. There have been some successful open carry walks that are very carefully planned and they're done in coordination with local law enforcement agencies. So no one's actually really tried and succeeded to openly carry a firearm without getting arrested. In yeah. Arkansas. Yeah, Arizona's had open carry for, I don't know how far it goes back, but it's, I know they had it in the, at least as far back in the 70s. I, I'm, I know that they had it then. So Arizona has open carry. We also were able to get rid of a lot of the brandishing things. Right. You know, so if you, well, you were kind of covered because we had open carry. So let's say like if you're, if you printed or if you, if your shirt lifted up and it came up over the butt of the gun and it was exposed because Arizona is an open carry, there wasn't any, there's no real penalties for that. Um, there were the way that the law used to be written was let's say that somebody, you know, you were getting attacked or somebody was threatening you and you felt your life was in danger and you, you drew the firearm and then the person disengaged and ran off in theory way back when they could charge you with brandishing because the way that they were saying is they would say, well, since you drew your firearm and you didn't shoot the person, right? It technically, you didn't need to draw it. And that was changed. I think maybe four or five years ago. Uh, in, to, in Arkansas that's covered under the, it's not the name of the statute, but it's the doctrine of two evils. If okay. Yeah. If you needed to draw your firearm, which, is and pointed at someone which would normally be aggravated assault with a deadly weapon if you are justified in drawing your weapon then you are exempt from the brandishing law yeah yeah and that's that's basically how ours was worded as well now you touched a little bit or talked a little bit about open carry and i'm kind of of two minds of it i mean for me if somebody wants to open carry and it's legal to do that in your state, you know, I'm fine with that. I don't have a problem with it. I've done it before here out in Arizona. I don't anymore uh, because I think the disadvantages outweigh the advantages for me with right. open carry. Um, but I've seen a lot of people and it, I haven't seen it as much out here, but I've seen it like in the news, like in Texas and other places in California and some other places where people, they go, so overboard on it and a lot of them 
you know, you'll see, you know, pictures on Facebook or, you know, here, or there and the other thing, but it almost seems like for a lot of these guys, it's like a, uh, it's like Halloween's come early for them right. and they get to dress up. You know, I saw some picture of some guy and he had his cowboy hat on and his duster and his boots and his, and then he was just, you know, carrying his shotgun kind of at the low ready, you know, walking around and stuff. And I just uh, thought, yeah. oh man. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm equivocating, but I am a hundred percent in favor of open carry concealed carry with out a permit anywhere in the United States. But, like you said, um, I carry concealed. For one thing, there are a boat ton of nosy truck drivers out here who are under the mistaken notion that it's illegal to carry a gun in a in a commercial vehicle. Yeah, it is absolutely not. It's governed by the exact same rules as if you're driving in a car. But a lot of the companies out here tell their drivers that it's illegal to try to prevent them from carrying because it would become a liability issue not only if you were going to use your gun in self-defense the um it's likely they're going to be sued in civil court by yeah. the person that attacked you or their family and they're probably going to try to go after the trucking company as well and frankly the trucking company would rather have you dead and i'm i'm not even kidding about that that's my opinion than to have to deal with paying out a million dollar lawsuit or something like that yeah now, because you're an independent contractor with these guys, do right. they still try and tell you, oh, if you're going to be you know, taking a load for us? There's nothing in my contract that says I can't. Um, I remember going to orientation 16 years ago for this company and them discouraging carrying of guns. I believe at that time they were telling people it was illegal. When my wife went through the same orientation for the same company the security person changed their tune a little bit and was saying that, um, yeah, maybe you have a, a permit, but it's only good for whatever state you're from. So they yeah. were still giving out misleading information. And this person absolutely was lying. And I know they know better because they're, they were a former FBI agent. So they were either a really incompetent FBI agent or the guy was lying. Yeah. So I definitely still try to discourage it. And I, I kept my freaking mouth shut during that orientation because I know that if I said anything that, that they're going to get suspicious about stuff. Now their terminal, their main terminal is posted no firearms. However, in that state, it's not against the law. The no, the no gun sign doesn't have any power. Yeah. And their other terminals, which it is legal to carry there as well, uh, are not posted. Yeah. Out here, like, what do they call it? Force of law, I think, is what the term right. that they use. And in Arizona, the signs do have force of law. And then it's kind of confusing because for a, let's say for a restaurant that serves alcohol on the premises, even if they've right. put the sign up, and I, I've had uh, one attorney friend kind of tell me one thing and another one tell me an, another opinion on it. The way that the law says for an establishment that sells alcohol is that even if they have the correct signage on the right. outside, if they don't have it by their liquor license, another sign that says no guns, then in theory, you would be okay to carry concealed in there. Now, you, right. you can't in Arizona, you cannot, um, Arizona has what they'll call, you know, constitutional carrier 
permitless carry. So if you, you can carry concealed without a permit here. There are some places though that you can't go where you can go if you have the permit, if that's clear. Um, or yeah, if that makes well, sense. I suggest, and I, I know where the states I can carry, and I know the states where if I were pulled, to be pulled over, I am required by law to inform the officer that I'm carrying and violate my own Fifth Amendment rights. But I generally go, I don't know where every restaurant and that serves liquor, what their the state policy is, so I go to www.handgunlaw.us and check it out before I go. Yeah. And then what's nice about that site, too, is that they have links to the individual states, their um, legislative bodies and, and the statutes and everything so that you can actually go and read them. You can link up and go and read them and say, oh, okay, well, maybe your interpretation is a little bit different than theirs. I generally find, though, that the the um, handgun law people are pretty spot on. Right. Uh, and again, it's not, it's not a... Uh, you're not going to be able to use that as a defense in court, I don't think. But uh, no, but I use the site at least once a week, and I am not paid to advertise by them. But I would encourage everybody that does use that site to give them five bucks on their donation site. Yeah, on the top yeah. of the page. Um, that's but you bring up a point. It's there are so many different regulations that you may not even know or intend to break the law. So it's imperative that you, I'm not saying be a sneaky criminal or anything, but keep your freaking gun covered. Yeah. And keep it concealed because I'm, I'm, I don't intend to be a felon or, or, or a criminal, but there are so many laws on the books, what 20,000 different gun laws on the books. It's, it's, it becomes more and more likely as they add more laws that you're going to inadvertently break one of the laws. Well, you know, even if you look at the traffic stuff, you can't you can't drive down the street without breaking some law, whether you intended to or not. Right. It's it's impossible. Um, and you're, I'm not you're doing something wrong. Anybody break the law intentionally, but I'm not that bothered if somebody carries a concealed gun past uh, a gun-free zone and inadvertently breaks the law without knowing it. That doesn't bother me in the slightest because responsible gun owners are doing their level best to stay legal, stay with the, stay out of legal trouble. They're not generally trying to be in your face. There's some open carry advocates that I believe are doing it wrong. But I'm not particularly bothered when if there's an infraction that happens when there's clearly no intent to uh, to do harm, but that's not the way the legal system sees it. So keep it concealed as well, yeah. at all times, pretty much. I mean, I'm, we don't have a system of justice in the country where the judge is necessarily going, oh, well, you didn't need to do anything wrong. You could have your, your gun rights taken away from you for the rest of your life for inadvertently uh, bringing a gun somewhere you're not supposed to. And I'm shocked at the amount of guns that the TSA con con confiscates every year. Yeah. Which is around 2,000? I, I think would, with the last numbers yeah. in 2013 that they reported, was it like over 2,000 handguns confiscated at airports? Yeah. Well, you know, I've traveled with, uh, when we went up to Montana and we've been to some other places, and I've traveled with a firearm. Right. Um, you know, f uh, uh, flying with a firearm. And it's generally pretty, um, pretty straightforward. 
I think that in at least maybe in places like Arizona and Montana and things like that, it's a little bit more commonplace. And in fact, one time when we were coming back from Montana, there were some people that were that were flying back into Arizona with us, and they were checking in long guns. They had gone up to uh, Montana to hunt. Right. So and and to them, it was just sort of like, eh, it's nothing. And every time that I've traveled with a firearm in Phoenix, when I go through the Phoenix International Airport, they know what to do. They they know exactly the procedure. It's not a hassle. It's not a big deal. Right. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, fill this out, do this, blah, 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 blah. So it goes really smooth. Years ago, I think I was listening to, uh, is it? I think it's called This Gun for Hire or something like that. Gun for Hire in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I've kind of I've kind of dropped off with them a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'm thinking about picking them up. I kind of go in waves with different podcasts. Right. I have a few that I kind of always stick with, and then I kind of go up and down and get caught up. But anyway, one of the things that he was talking about was if you were flying from, let's say, Arizona to, uh, you know, wherever, Florida or something, where you can actually have it, and if for whatever reason your your flight got rerouted up to New Jersey or into right. Illinois to Chicago. He said that once you sort of take possession of your luggage again, that if you try and recheck that thing in, you could be in a world of trouble. Oh yeah. People get, have been arrested in New York city and for sure New Jersey for inadvertently breaking the firearms laws for just taking possession of their gun when they're not supposed to. I mean, I'm going to fly to Alaska in the end of um, the end of yeah end of May actually, and I'm going to take my guns with me because I'm going to be teaching the class, and it just scares the living daylights out of me that our flight might be diverted to Chicago for some reason. It's bad enough that I'm going to be flying through Denver, so I'm going to make sure I have 15 round magazines. Yeah. Well, you know the the advice that he gave, and I thought it was really good advice, is he said. If you ever found yourself in that situation, what you do is you you take your luggage, you go to the rent-a-car counter, and you get in your rent-a-car and you drive away. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. And I thought that you know that actually makes a lot of sense because you know the rent-a-car they're not going to scan your bag or anything. You definitely don't say, "Hey, officer, what do I do with this gun?" Yeah, yeah. But I thought so that, that was that doesn't work so well for for folks in New York City. Yeah. Although, you know, it's funny, they, uh, it's, it's old news and everything, but there was that lady that, uh, oh, she had, she had brought her gun and, and said, like, where can I store this at or something like that. She went to the World Trade Center. She was yeah. a nurse from Tennessee. She went, saw the, she must have seen a no gun sign. Yeah. Basically, New York City is completely a, no, a gun free zone yeah. anyway. And she wanted to legally store her firearm and she volunteered that she had an illegal gun on her because all guns are pretty much illegal unless you have a New York City endorsement on your New York State carry permit. Yeah. And I think because of the outcry, she got some kind of plea deal. I do not know if she got, I doubt she got her gun back and I don't know if she received any kind of felony charges or had her gun rights revoked. Yeah, I think in that case, and I don't, I don't remember the details of it, but I think in that case, I don't think um, she got the felony conviction. I think they, it was like a deal where 
kind of like we were talking about a little bit before, it's sort of like an open felony type thing. As long as she does sort of A, B, and C, and and blah blah blah, it's, it's similar it would... to Shanine Allen mm-hmm. going into New Jersey and getting some kind of. Well, she went through the through the um, like the inter- They finally the outcry was so great that she got to go through the like the intervention thing. Right. But yeah, that was a lady where she was going to get screwed. I mean, they were going to teach her a lesson, and uh, she was looking at. I think it was going to be a, almost like a minimum of probably ten years, uh, because they were going to pop her for the gun. They were going to pop her also for the ammunition. Right. It would have been with. From what I had heard, it was going to be a, a minimum three and a half years. Usually the sentence is like, the sentence is seven years. I think you can get off with good behavior in three and a half minimum. Well, the, yeah, the, the minimum, if she took the plea, right, was going to be three years that she would go to prison. But because right. she didn't do that, they were going to, they were going to give her 10. And then yeah. it got, the people were just outraged by it. Uh, and even people that lived in, I guess, New Jersey were like, what's the, you know, that's not right. You know, she wasn't doing anything and this, that, and the other. And so eventually I think she went through that intervention program type deal where, and we had similar programs back in, in probation, but basically once you do it and you complete everything, it's, it's like you never, uh, you were never even adjudicated or anything like that. So and a lot of this stuff is it's just it's all legal terminology and this and that and it doesn't mean anything to the average person but from a legal standpoint it's very important that you know that that she go through that program because then in theory it's like it never happened type deal right uh so and we used like i said we used to have stuff that was real kind of similar to that thing because you and you would use them for you would go well yeah this kid was out you know past curfew or he got caught with beer or whatever but you know, they have no prior thing. They're, you know, in school, they're working, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so this, and we used to call it diversion. Right. And so you would divert them out and they would never go through the court system that way. And probably about, no, oh, maybe 75, 80% of the people that went through those, you never saw them again um, yeah. through, through that type of program. But my advice is to never go to New Jersey with a gun. Oh man. Ever. Well, that's even like when we go into California, you know, we go there a lot for vacations and nine times out of 10, I, I won't take a firearm. I took one with me, um, this last time and I, I, I made sure that the gun that I, uh, was taking was fine. I made sure that, you know, that it was on their safe list. I tried to check all the laws and follow them all when I was in there because I was, I kind of weighed it out and I thought, well, I'd rather have it and, and strictly Dude. adhere to the law, but right. I wanted to make sure that I was not going to be in a situation like you were saying earlier, where all of a sudden it's, it's, uh, that one little yeah. slip up or something like that. And then all of a sudden, guess what? Either you're, you're fighting to stay out of prison or if everything works out quote unquote great for you, you're a felon and you've lost all your all your gun rights forever and ever. California is kind of almost like a paradise compared to New Jersey. I mean, mm-hmm. there are, it is difficult to obtain a gun in California, and there are magazine restrictions. But the rule for California traveling there is to have a fully unloaded firearm uh, locked in a case. And if you have a trunk of a car, put it in the trunk of the car. If you don't have a vehicle that has a trunk, then put it in the rearmost 
section of the vehicle and just leave it there. Now, they don't want you to put it in a glo- in the glove box, do they? I don't think so. Because think it needs to be in a, a locked yeah. gun case. Because I had, uh, I bought one of those small, oh, I forget what they're called, like gun vaults or something like that. It's not electric. Right. It's just a, with a key. It's a little cheapo thing. But I was able to lock that, and I, I kept the ammunition separate from the gun for just, That's you know, again, idea. for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and I, I primarily wanted it realistically for when we were, you know, at the hotel. Right. Especially on this trip, the first place we, we kind of had gone to two different places and the first place we stayed at was pretty nice and everything. But then the next place we had to spend the night before we were going to drive up to, uh, to Vegas, it was in LA and it was kind of sketchy. Yeah. So I was glad to have the, the firearm with me. In fact, I took the, uh, that little car P380, uh, cause I knew with the magazine there would be, it, it's only a six round magazine. Right. And I knew that I could have those. And I had, I didn't have hollow point ammunition. I had just round nose, just ball. I've got 10 round magazines for all my Glocks. And then I generally been carrying lately the Glock 26, which has 10 round magazines. Yeah. So that when I'm traveling to California, which is one of our most uh, traveled to states, um, I'm good there. And of course, I guess if you, you know, for the most part, like if you're up in Northern California, it's going to, it's, it's quite a bit different than being down in Southern California. Um, cause I we vacationed up in, yeah, not, yeah. That's what I, I meant. More the attitude. Uh, one of the California highway patrol officers. Hi, Greg. He's 1000% pro pro gun. And he wouldn't tell anybody to come to California without a gun. Yeah. Cause there's some really nasty spots that you can inadvertently end up in yeah and you're better off you know even if even if you have to kind of jump through some hoops and stuff like that i i kind of made the decision well we're better off to have it than not than to need it and 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 just you know sort of be at the mercy of somebody who has known and then you're in a you know then you're in a world of hurt and uh hey it's kind of speaking of Guns that I've been uh, recently purchased, and then ones that I'm looking at getting. I, I think I'm gonna maybe fall on the side of the uh, HK VP9. But well, you're stupid. <laughs> takes one to know one, jackass. Um, but I am. I like. I think I like the trigger better. I haven't, I don't know anybody out here that actually has one that I could fire and I haven't found a range that has one for me to rent of the Walther, the PPQ. Right. Um, the ergonomically, I like them. They're about the same, but I think the edge goes to, uh, the HK. It seems to fit. It fits my hand better. I can reach everything. No problem. It's so, and they're so, both of those guns too are so different than the Glocks. Like I've got a, right. a Glock 17 that I carry probably 90, 95%, maybe even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm not carrying that, I'll usually carry like the 26 or I'll carry maybe that car or something like that. But, uh, so like today I've got the, I've got the 17 on mm-hmm. and I basically keep it on. I, I, it goes on in the morning and it comes off at night. Um, right. And unless, you know, I'm someplace where I can't, you know, go in with it, that type of thing. Uh, so I carry mine at home all the time. I'm so used to it. My wife and daughter are used to seeing me with it, but, 
what's what's been because i know you've got the ppq or you still have it right i do okay and you've had that for a while now have you done any training classes with it or done some stuff where you've kind of rung it out pretty well i have rung the living crap out of it i did a range master instructor development course that was 800 some odd rounds ran flawlessly super accurate gun uh for me it's that my best the ergonomics are pretty great. It's pretty much ambidextrous. You can swap the magazine release if you want to, or you can, if you are doing weak-handed drills, just use your index finger to release yeah. the magazine. Uh, the, that is the one thing of the VP9 that has an advantage over the PPQ, in my opinion, is that it is fully ambidextrous with the European-style trigger guard magazine re- release, that lever. The yeah, it's got style. that little paddle thing on there. Right. Uh, I don't own a VP9. Haven't shot one. I've only tried the trigger out, dry firing. I personally like the PPQ better. Um, I don't like the sights on the VP9. I don't really love the sights on the, the PPQ either. But uh, there are 10.8 performance replacement sights for both of those guns. I think it's kind of a toss-up. Uh, as far as customer service and availability of magazines and cost of magazines, I think the Walther has the edge on that. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of one of the things. Like I said, there's a lot of different factors that I'm kind of looking at. But for me, again, the, um, the HK fit my hand a little better. But I thought that, the again, that the trigger was superior uh, with with how especially with how the gun reset on yeah. the on the PPQ, uh, and what I was thinking, well, if I ever did get the, if I was going to go with that because I I played around with the um, with that little paddle release, mm-hmm. and I also the at the gun store the the Walther that I got to to uh, dry fire and mess around with had the button had the American style magazine release, right? And of course the Walther or not the Walther but the HK has the paddle. And I found the more I kind of messed around with it and I tried it with both hands, I actually kind of liked that, the paddle release. Now, I, I don't know as far as like a concern of, do you think it would be easier maybe to inadvertently, like if you rubbed up against something, you know, the outside of the gun, um, or is that going to be covered by the by the holster, that magazine release to where it's not going to... It's not going to inadvertently. Maybe. Um, I'll, I will be honest. When I took the Range Master class, I had one instance where I drew the gun and basically the magazine got flung out of the gun mm. as I drew it. But that was probably because I didn't seat it properly. I didn't do a tug test on my magazine, which I've gotten into the habit of doing now when I put my gun on in the morning i'll just give a little when it's in the holster i give a little tug to the magazine to make yeah. sure it's seated now so did, so you've got the m2 right and not the m1 i have the m2 the m1 okay. has a paddle style european paddle style release yeah and it's fully ambidextrous because i've never like with the glock and everything i've never had there's i've never really had a concern of the magazine being inadvertently released and the only thing i was thinking as well with with that hk with that paddle style you know, if you were kind of fumbling around with it a little bit, or, or if you didn't, maybe in a, in a high stress situation, if the, you were grasping you were gonna, at it. The only thing that remotely would bother me about the paddle star release is if you're doing a tactical reload, which is 
extremely unlikely to happen in a real yeah. world situa- situation. That only happens on the competition range. There's a chance that if you're doing a tactical reload and you have a round in the chamber, you can inadvertently, if you're using your trigger finger to release your magazine, where's the trigger? Yeah. Excuse me, where's the magazine release? It's on the trigger guard. Where does your trigger finger want to go? It wants to go onto the trigger. There's a small chance that you could inadvertently have a... Maybe cook, yeah, cook one off or something. So yeah. I don't know how likely that is, but it, it doesn't bother me. And you dream about it at night or anything like that. Yeah, and I'm not too concerned with like getting a holster for it. I'll just make one. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it'll look great. Oh, actually, I've made quite a few. They look pretty good. I know a guy who makes holsters and get a discount. Well, Jason. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm too cheap. I'll just make my own. I've got all the stuff. I went out and. uh, I bet I could get you a free one. But um, if you want to make some homebrew, that's I salute you. That's how Jason started. (laughs) <laughs> well, I talked to him when I was, in fact, he was out and I think his brother was out at the mag 40 when I was out yeah, there. He was. Um, and I talked Dr. to him Kyle a little, I talked to him. Um, I talked to Jason for a little bit. I doubt if he'd remember me, but I talked to him and kind of got some, some pointers and some tips from him on, you know, what's a good, the thickness of Kydex and stuff like that. And it's fun. It's fun to mess around with that stuff. But after doing a bunch of experiments with it, I did some with like the, uh, oh, they'll call it like the taco style where you basically have one big piece of Kydex and you kind of wrap it over the gun right. and fold it over. I tried some where you're doing like a sandwich style where you do um, two pieces of Kydex. So you mm-hmm. take a front mold and then the back mold. Sandwich. And you, you, yeah, yummy. And then the ones that, that uh, I made a couple that were what you would call, I guess, like the hybrid type where yeah. you're using the leather and the Kydex. And that those, of course, are by far the most comfortable. Um, yeah. But I think, and your retention is good with them, but you have, I think, a better retention either with the taco style or with the two where you can I, sandwich it. I agree it. with you there because once that the leather starts to break in, you'll lose some of that retention and you have to go back and um, reheat the Kydex to yeah. get the tension back on there. Yeah. And some of the, the tension from an inside the waistband holster is actually your body pressing out against the gun while you're while you're wearing it yeah so you have to be careful sometimes if you're removing your holster to make sure you don't dump it or if you are using the can out here on the road which i don't really have any other option but to go into a facility like a truck stop or a rest area and with um a company that makes high hybrid holsters are pretty famous from missouri um I had a gun come out into my pants and go down my leg one time. Mm, yeah. Well, you know, and that's another thing too that you that a lot of people don't talk about with the hybrid stuff. If you don't have really good retention on that, and not even if you were attacked, but if you tripped or you fell or you slipped or you you know for whatever reason. Uh, oh yeah, you're much more likely to to fumble your gun doing your administrative processes than you're ever going to have to draw it in public. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why when we were talking earlier about the school stuff, the less you fiddle with your gun, the less likely it is that you're going to have something go wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember when they were first starting at trying to figure out, like, were they going to arm the pilots and this, that, and the other thing? Yeah. And there was a deal where they they were making them take the gun in and out of the holster or something like that. Oh, I, I'm, and I'm not exactly yeah. sure why. And I think they eventually did away with it. There was, I think there was a couple of discharges or something. 
and eventually they did away with that. Now I don't know if the pilots are still armed or if it's if it's a uh, a thing where they've gone to the different airlines can do different things type deals. I'm I'm not really up to speed on any of that stuff. Right. Uh, a buddy of I, mine, I his you. his uh, his brother is a pilot, and a while back they were carrying at one time, but I don't know if they still are. But hey, one other quick thing, and then I'll uh, we'll kind of wrap it up because we've been yammering on here for oh a long here, a little bit over an hour. So I'm sure you you got wow. other you got other stuff to do. The other day I was watching, and this kind of ties back a little bit in into that open carry thing, or the or how maybe the message is delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you got a guy, maybe like a Ted Nugent, who's out there and he's real boisterous, and he's you know, sometimes says a lot of stuff that I don't necessarily agree with the way he delivers the message, not a hundred percent on the content. And then you have a guy maybe, Oh, who, who wouldn't probably consider himself a spokesman, but like, let's say like a, do you ever listen to Joe Rogan's podcast? Oh, all the time. Yeah. So you got a guy like him who is generally, I think you would consider him uh, if, if you wouldn't say, oh, he's pro-gun, you would say he's a guy who says, well, sure, you should be able to own it and this, that. Now, he may you know, not think that you should be able to own a rifle or this, that, and the other thing. I don't think he thinks that way. And he's had people on, on his show before who are you know, super pro-gun and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even when he has people on there that aren't, the way that he kind of counters them or the way that he talks to them a lot of times isn't too confrontational, but he sort of gets his point across. Right. And so... Who do you think are, are some of like some of the good people that or, or people that are a good example of how to sort of get that point across without coming across as being overbearing or being kind of a douchebag about it, that type of thing? Well, Joe Rogan is a great example of somebody who's not who's very diplomatic about his um, beliefs on firearms. And I, I know he talks about hunting a lot. And I, I can recall he's talk, talks about having a rifle in 300 wind mag. Um, I don't look to people like Ted Nugent who are not as diplomatic. They have the same message 100% of the time, and I'm, and I'm not so certain that they're um, the very best spokesman for the Second Amendment. He's definitely um, a super pro-gun guy, and I agree with a lot of stuff he says. I don't necessarily like, like the style that he presents it in, but uh, I would say people like Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation, David Kodria, uh, Dave Workman, people like that who are absolutely 100% pro-gun and seem to have a good message and a diplomatic way of getting their message across rather than going out and seeking confrontation from law enforcement and and folks like that. I, I try to have as little contact with law enforcement folks as possible, with the exception of the people that I work with, like John Hottaway and, and Masada Yub. Masada Yub is another great spokesman for the Second Amendment and is pro sec, 100% pro-Second Amendment, 100% for open carry and permitless carry where possible. So I would look to people like that. Second Amendment Foundation, Masada Yub is a great example. Um, folks that are in the podcasting world are are generally pretty good about getting a, a good message out about responsible gun ownership. I don't know a lot of folks 
in the podcasting world that that you and I know that are in your face and confrontational about it. Yeah, there's there's been a few, you know, that I've and I've I kind of just stopped listening to them. Or I, you know, I've generally if there's a new podcast or something, I'll try and and give uh, you know three or four shows uh, in and, and see, cause usually you can tell. And if they've, if they've got a bunch of them, but, uh, there's, there's some been out there that, that, uh, they there's come some, off there's as definitely podcasts out there that say some really stupid things that yeah. stop listening to. And they're pretty popular. I'm not, um, I would consider my show, the road gunner podcast, roadgunner.net, a, a fairly niche program. As far as, um, it goes, it's, uh, I seem to have a lot of friends in the podcasting world, but I know that there's a lot of shows out there that are vastly more popular, and that doesn't really bother me. I don't care. I'm going to do the show the way I want to, and uh, it's pretty not going to really change. But there are definitely folks out there that are more popular and say some really silly things. Yeah, and you know, I'm not going to name names, but we'll talk about it later because it's fun off the air. A lot of times, and I've I've seen this ever since you know I kind of Brian Bolivar. <laughs> that guy sucks. Oh, I wish he would take a header off of a freaking pier into a shallow ditch. Okay. You know he's one of those Canadians. Let me tell you something about those Canadians. They'll murder every one of us if they get the chance. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. Turn around, they'll stab you in the back. <laughs> one minute they'll be open carrying in Utah, the next minute they'll be putting a nine millimeter round in the back of your head. I'll tell you what. <laughs> And then they'll laugh about it. At least Trevor has stopped yammering on about the stopping power of the forty caliber. Okay, I don't want to start a, a caliber debate here. So, <laughs> handgun calibers all suck. Yeah. Any anywho, it seems like a lot of times, and like I said, I've seen this from the from the very start. Is and it's it's getting better, uh, but it, it's still out there quite a bit. Is that unless you're sort of this? kind of right-wing, conservative, Bible-thumping guy. You know, a, a lot of these other... That's the reason why I've stopped listening to some of these other podcasts is that they they say that they have tolerance for a lot of different things, uh, but they really, they don't. Um, they, they, they want sort of free speech and they want rights, but only if you're... If, only if you fit like a certain type of mold. So to them, if you're, if you're gay or if you're... Maybe. Which you are, yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I I will admit I am a lesbian. See, I know what you're saying, and it just it it seems like the people they we have a lot of problem with being inclusive, and I think that there's also a, uh, there's still sort of that image. Like I said, it is getting better, and I think one of the reasons why it's getting better is we're getting more and more women to come in, mm-hmm. um, and. I've I've like said Brian for Bolivar. yes, I've said for years. You know, the more if if we really want to have significant change and we really want to really move forward, you can't exclude women, uh, right? You know, from the fold. You've got to have them in, and they've got to sort of like how we are we are one hundred percent bought into not just gun culture, but basically the 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 culture of of self-defense and that you're responsible for your own safety. And as more and more women can get into that and, and will buy into that for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. I think that's going forward where you're going to see, ah, crud. Okay. We got zapped again on my tirade there. And no problem. 
But anyway, like I was saying, say, I know we're going long here, but I don't know if you split this in two or something or whatever. But let me say something about if you come to a class that I'm teaching, you it doesn't. I don't care about your religious background. There's you know you see stuff on on Facebook all the time. You know this gun range won't allow Muslims to come there, and yeah. I'm really sad about that particular gun range because I used to shoot there. Um, I don't care if you're Muslim, Jew, Christian, atheist. I don't care if you're gay, straight, pink, purple, brown, crossdresser, whatever. My philosophy is that you are a human being. You have a right to defend your life. Uh, you're not going to get any kind of military training at a class that I teach. It's going to be no BS, simple self-defense to make you a better shooter. And I, I, I care nothing about um, doing super-duper tactical reloads and rolling on the ground or pimping your gun uh, to make it the absolute best thing out there. Just bring what you have that is that you know to be reliable and we'll figure out a way to help you shoot it better. Yeah. So my, I do work with folks from the law enforcement community and the military, but my personal background is purely civilian and I don't have a philosophy of self-defense that is related to that. I don't have uh, a, I don't have to worry about military tactics we're talking about pure self-defense if you have mil some military tactics are aggressive uh, use of the pistol uh, in law enforcement your your role the fire firearm plays a, a role as a tool of arrest and it is also there's some techniques that are well not completely different but slightly different the philosophy is different I'm not you're not going to be uh, training to do a bunch of team tactics and clearing rooms and busting into houses and taking down drug dealers and things like that. We're talking about some really pure, simple things that everybody needs to know. And so with that, if uh, I know your buddy Ken and I are going to be teaching a class in South Dakota in August, August 1st and 2nd, where he's going to be teaching some medical training, which is a very likely thing that you might need to use for yourself or your family. And I will be teaching some handgun tactics. Okay, cool. That's going to be in August, and you can sign up for all the classes that we've talked about, Mag 40. And um, that's the class that I mentioned with Ken is called Citizen First Response, August 1st and 2nd. That's in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You can go to NighthawkCustomTraining.com to sign up for those classes. Okay, yeah, and I'll put all the, I'll go back after the thing and put all the links and everything. Uh, over at the website, which is firearmscafe.com. So you guys can go there, and, and uh, I'll have links to all that stuff that Chaz has been talking about. And if you come to the, the Hot Springs class, I'll be catering the first two days. Ooh, there you go. And you were like Chef Yvonne Chef Chef or something like that in a previous oh, life. Yeah. yeah, I used to work at Walt Disney World in yeah. a previous lifetime. So what made you, what kind of put the bug in, in your in your bonnet there? I got my daughter here, so I can't curse too much. Okay. Um what kind of made you really sort of take a change from uh, from trucking and trying to get into uh, doing instructing and doing that maybe eventually as a full-time gig? Uh, basically, I just fell in love with shooting from the first time I ever shot a pistol. And being a – when I get into something, I just kind of become super enthusiastic about it. So I bought a gun, and I thought, well, well if I'm going to have it, it's legal to carry it. Maybe I'll stay, maybe I'll carry it. So, but I wanted to be a responsible citizen, and I didn't 
think about, you know, I, I don't personally believe that training should be mandatory, but as a responsible adult, I think it's behooves you to learn how to use dangerous equipment properly. I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't go into a, a Sears or a, a steel chainsaw store and buy a chainsaw without knowing how to operate the thing. I would. So, well, of course you would. <laughs> so, I, you know, I did a little research and I found out about this dude named Masada Ayub online and got his book in the gravest extreme and went to a mag 40 class and i got referred to john hottaway from mass and then it was all downhill from there yeah pretty much and the, you were bitten by the bug fun. at that I just point like being on, i like being on the range i like meeting the not everybody in the firearms world is a responsible person you can go to any gun show and just be angry the whole time or you can go to a class where people are there with the spirit of wanting to learn and become responsible armed citizens. And those are the kind of folks I like being around. You meet a lot of friends that uh, I stay, have stayed in contact with over the years from the first time I went to a MAG-40. And then I really like myself a lot, so I started doing a podcast because <laughs> I value my opinion a lot. Me too, me too. So I put it out there. In fact, I'm, I'm one of the probably the smartest, nicest guys I know. Oh, no. Handsome too. Absolutely say that much <laughs> so I wanted to impose myself and my will on the world not really but you know what I'm saying uh, if I can make something I enjoy truck driving and it's fun and if I can make the training and instruction something that I can at least break even at so that I can pay for my passion yeah I'm cool with that I may be driving for the next 20 years I hope not, but if I am, I'd be fine with it. But I'd like to, you know, it's not often that you can get somebody to pay for your Alaska vacation. I mean, I'm going to offer people a class up there yeah. in Alaska. Uh, but that was from the podcast. My, some podcast listeners were like, hey, when are you going to come up to Alaska and, and teach? I was like, I don't know. Why don't you put something together? That's what happened. I've actually, you know, it's funny. I've got the the people I've sort of met through podcasting are, um, and maybe because it's more of just sort of a niche, a niche thing and you can kind of pick and choose who you're listening to type deal, but there's some of the, just the nicest, uh, down to earth people. And even, even other people that I've kind of met that, uh, maybe do movie podcasts or, or, you right. know, type things. I've, you know, I'm friends with some of those guys. Of course, I've never met him or anything like that, but, you know. Have I've... you ever met Shelton? Oh, yeah. Eric? Eric Shelton? Oh, yeah. yeah. He He's was the well, he... reason that the Road Gunner podcast exists because he quit. And I was like, well, that's my favorite podcast. What am I going to list to? Okay, I'll do my own. Yeah. So I enter entertain myself by doing it. Yeah, but, he uh, and I, uh, we started about the same time. And, in fact, we got into it kind of about the, uh, sort of about with the same deal of um mark vandenberg when he was right. when this was been back like in 2000 maybe six or seven when i kind of first started listening to podcasts and uh, at the time there was maybe only six that actually put out shows on a regular basis right and his was one of them and then he was always wanting people to come on and maybe do guest hosting right i'd heard eric he had come on and done like a couple of guest hosting things. And I thought, well, shoot, I'll do that. I'll, I'll send in a couple of messages or a, maybe like a, 
a guest host or send in a segment, like kind of a longer segment to Mark. Then the more I thought about it, I thought, well, instead of doing that, why don't I just do my own, my own show? And right. he kind of helped me out at first, and then it kind of evolved into something a little bit different. But um, so my my first shows, the things that I talk about are still stuff I you know believe in, but it's a, it's a different. I've kind of evolved and 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 tried to sort of question some of the beliefs that I had, and so some of my 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 thinking has changed a little bit and right. has has I think taken logical progression. Well, as, um, as a, an intelligent human being, if you're the kind of person that is presented with new factual evidence, you change, you're able to change your mind. And I I'm, I'm believe that I'm also a person that does that. You know, one of the, I think the first podcast I ever did was the gun review podcast. I did oh, an episode yeah. on, on my Glock 26. And then um, Bob Main let me do a, uh, a little audio spot for a holster and Bob and both Mark Vandenberg and Bob Main were instrumental in helping me set up the show. So I want to thank them both. Yeah. And like I said, you, most everybody is, uh, very willing to help. And most everybody I think are pretty, pretty genuine people. You know, you can't, you, you can't do more than probably five or 10 shows. And if you're just kind of spewing out, you know, BS, it's going to, it's going to kind of catch up with you if you're not genuine about it. Right. You know, people can tell. So the people that have kind of been around uh, for a while and everything are, are generally pretty decent people and all that type of stuff. Well, I tell you what, Hey, let's, let's go ahead and wrap this pig up. All right. And, uh, we've been yapping for about an hour 20. Oh, wow. Um, so what I may do is I may put it all out as one thing on, on my show. But like I said, people can get a hold of you at, uh, Reel off your spiel again. I can't remember any of it. All right, Chaz, thanks for coming on, and we'll go ahead and sign off now. Thanks, buddy. Keep your nose clean and your fist real greasy. I'm gone. I stole your thunder. That's all right. <laughs>